showtime. Welcome to the show. I'm Brent Holland. Welcome to Night Fright. Here comes the night. You know, when I was coming in tonight, it's nasty out there. It's blustery, the wind sh- shaking the leaves from the foundation. It's a perfect night to settle in and listen to Night Fright. On the phone from Manitoulin Island, we've got JFK researcher Rick Nelson. Rick Nelson, of course, was here last week. We were talking about the Daniel Dodge. Excuse me, folks. We were talking about the Daniel Dodge mystery. Tonight, as promised, we are returning with Rick, and we will be discussing the JFK assassination. November 22, 1963. Lee Harvey Oswald, the purported assassin of John F. Kennedy. Was he the assassin? What type of person was this man, Lee Harvey Oswald? Was he capable? Was he even capable of the deed? Tonight we're going to find that out because, you see, Rick Nelson spent a year living with Marina Oswald. That's right, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife. He spent a year there. He has some inside stuff that we're going to reveal tonight about the character of one Lee Harvey Oswald. This is going to be a show to remember, folks. Stick around, strap in, and hang on. Here we go. There is a time to question. There is a time for answers. There is a time to challenge. There is a time to speculate. There is a time for change. There is a time for truth. The time is now. Welcome to Night Fright. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. Now your host, Brent Holland. Welcome, welcome, one and all to Night Fright. Tonight, the JFK assassination, November 22nd, 1963, of course. Three shots rang out, or were there more? The purported assassin, the one they arrested, that said that they said was capable of doing that assassination was one Lee Harvey Oswald. Our guest tonight, Rick Nelson, is on the phone live from Manitoulin Island, which is just one hour west of Sudbury, for those of you across the country. He was here last week, of course. We talked about the Daniel Dodge mystery. Tonight, as promised, he is back, and we will be discussing the JFK assassination. Very important to remember, Rick spent a year with Marina Oswald. He boarded with her for a year, rented a room, talked about Lee Harvey Oswald and his character. Was Lee Harvey Oswald capable of doing the deed? That is something we hope to find out tonight. Rick, welcome back, my friend, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you very much, Brent, for asking me to come back. I wasn't expecting to be here so soon. I thought we were going to do this in uh, November. What happened? (laughs) You don't want to know. (laughs) Um, 
basically what happened is we had somebody for tonight, folks, and they backed out. I gave Rick a frantic phone call last night on a Tuesday night. Tonight we're Wednesday. And Rick was so kind and agreed to come back on the show right away. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy to be here. And uh, I, I would like to say that I, I have been out of the loop uh, with uh, the JFK uh, assassination for a long time. It's uh, certainly an important part of my, my past, and I still stay in touch with uh, you know people who were involved with that uh, that story, but uh, it, uh, it hasn't been up uh, front and center for a while with me, so I'll try to recall some of the uh, some of the events that uh, that I was involved in. If, but uh, I just wanted to just give you a heads up on that. It's been a while, a bit out of the loop. That's terrific, Rick. Let's jump in right away, shall we? How did you get involved with the JFK assassination, but more specifically? How did you come to spend a year with Marina Oswald? Well, I guess you have to backtrack a little bit um, prior to that trip uh, and my stay in uh, Dallas. I've always been interested in the assassination. I I remember that day, November 22, 1963, I was in school, and uh, the the principal came over the the loudspeaker and said uh, that uh, President Kennedy had been shot. And following that uh, were the, the next three days where everybody who's old enough to remember were glued to their television sets, and, and I was too, and I have you know, some strong images of that weekend. And uh, following that, I got hooked on it. I, I read everything I could uh, uh, that, that there was to read uh, on the assassination. I did assignments when I was in school, and then eventually when I got into broadcasting, I did uh, documentaries, and uh, while I was in Sudbury, and by the way, some great time spent in the great city of uh, Sudbury working at uh, the old CHNO, which is no longer there, but while I was there, um, I befriended a guy by the name of Bill Tuttle, who was a, also a very, uh, uh, was very interested in the assassination. We attended a seminar at Laurentian University. It was put on by a guy by the name of Tony Senta, who I think is the Canadian uh, authority on uh, the JFK assassination and did a, a slideshow presentation basically at JFK 101. And it was following that uh, that lecture that Ella and I, we both decided, hey, you know, we've we've talked about this, we've studied it to death, but, you know, we've never been to uh, Dallas, Texas, and we should go down and, um, you know, just walk around. And so that's how it began, uh, a, a friendship with a number of people down in Dallas. We flew down, and we went to a place called the JFK Assassination Information Center, who were the consultants for the uh, for the Oliver Stone movie, JFK. And uh, we told them we were coming down, we were going to be bringing a video camera, and we wanted to do a lot of filming while we were around in Dallas, and if they could hook it up, us up with a number of people who were connected to the case. And, uh, and they did, and uh, the list is so long, I, I don't think we have... Uh, enough time on your show to list all the people that they they uh, gave us the interview but uh they were people who were players in this story and uh uh following that we returned to Sudbury with that information all that filming and we ran it on the local cable company uh the local cable station there uh the documentary that we put together and uh then we got the we got thinking you know we should have a symposium and we held it, and that's what we did. We held it there at Laurentian University, just down the street from where uh, where your broadcast studio is. And uh, all the people that we met in uh, Dallas, a good number of them, came up for that symposium, including uh, Marina Oswald. 
and um, it was there that uh, we became friends, uh, and uh, eventually uh, I was persuaded to go down and help them out with their museum, and of course I needed a place to stay. I stayed a while with the uh, with the uh, the curators uh, the, uh, there, that family, uh, the curator of the museum there, and then eventually moved over and stayed with uh, Marina Oswald, uh, boarded at her place, and we, uh, I feel, became very close friends, and certainly um, uh, it's a friendship that's lasted to this day. Folks, in case you're just joining us, we're speaking with Rick Nelson tonight. Rick Nelson is a JFK researcher. More than that, he spent a year boarding with Marina Oswald. That's right, Oswald. Lee Harvey Oswald, the purported assassin of John F. Kennedy, was his wife. So there you go. Um, we're going to be talking about that momentarily, but I want to ask Rick first. Rick, what was it about the JFK assassination that first enticed you? Did something not smell right right away to you? Uh, you know, uh, for years I never even knew uh, much about the conspiracy theories. Um, I was more interested in the person and what he represented, and uh, certainly as I got older I got to appreciate uh, the mess he got, out of, got us out of with uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I was, I was more caught up in the person than the assassination. Um, it was uh, only after uh, the Sapruder uh, film went public and perhaps, uh, you know, that's something that needs to be explained, which is the home movie that was a uh, film that was uh, uh, made by a guy named Abraham Zapruder, who happened to be in close proximity to the assassination and filmed it. Uh, that uh, particular film had been under lock and key by Light Magazine for years and years and years, and finally was made public by a, name, uh, by a guy by the name of Robert Groton, who went on um, national television uh, with Geraldo Rivera and revealed that. And I, like many other people at that time, and now we're, we're talking, uh, closing in on my, my college years, that I, I had a real eye-opener with the Zapruder film, and uh, it gave me, plus the Watergate, too, to, uh, that, was, that was also very fresh. And so the, uh, the idea that our government doesn't always tell the truth, combined with the, uh, the debut of the Zapruder film, national television, and I think that's what did it for me in terms of maybe coming to a conclusion there might have been somebody other than Lee Harvey Oswald or at least accomplices that could have been involved in the assassination of President Kennedy. And that's when I really started taking an interest in, in zeroing in on uh, studying more up on the assassination. Rick, what do you feel happened to society after the assassination of John F. Kennedy, before Malcolm was killed, before Martin was killed, and before Bobby was killed. What did that do to society at that point? Well, it certainly uh, rocked our innocence. Um, uh, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, the, the assassination of President Kennedy um, made, our, made us fearful for our leaders. If anybody could get to him, you know, who, who was next? And, of course, uh, you know, Martin Luther King, Luther King and then Bobby Kennedy and the other attempted assassinations. Plus, then uh, Watergate uh, exactly. certainly uh, came, uh, came, or, uh, came along and uh, really shattered everybody's faith in how, you know, what we're being told by our, by our leaders. 
Folks, we're speaking with Rick Nelson tonight. He's a JFK researcher. He was here last week, for those of you that are fans of this show. We were talking about the Daniel Dodge mystery that took place on Manitoulin Island. As a matter of fact, let me plug what Rick does for a living. He's the curator of the Old Mill Heritage Center Museum in Kagamwong on Manitoulin Island. Now, if you just go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website, there you will find all the links We'll take you right to Rick's website. I urge you all to go to the museum and visit it. You're going to find out a lot of information about Daniel Dodge. There's a wonderful, a wonderful, exceptional, um, that's the word I'm looking for, uh, not demonstration, uh, presentation on the Second World War. There are all kinds of original artifacts, including a soundtrack of the original radio announcements that announced the war, like, for example, the uh, Pearl Harbor attack and things of that nature. Terrific job, Rick. Terrific job. Uh, Well done. And that's over on the shores of Lake Huron, something that you may want to take the family to visit. Also, there's some wonderful beaches, not tonight, (laughs) for the kids to visit as well on Manitoulin Island. Wonderful place. Rick, let's go back now to that JFK assassination. You had mentioned Watergate. There seemed to be a sense in the 60s, the 70s, that something was amiss, very amiss with the government. The government could no longer be trusted. As a matter of fact, there was rumors abound that there was indeed a conspiracy right from day one in the JFK assassination, that it wasn't just Lee Harvey Oswald. Because Lee Harvey Oswald, folks, for those of you that weren't around, was arrested the same day, two hours after the purported assassination, around 2.30 Central Time. Three days later, he was gunned down on on the Sunday morning. This took place on a Friday, the assassination. Sunday morning, 11 o'clock in the morning, he was gunned down by a fellow by the name of Jack Ruby. Now, what's what's significant about Jack Ruby, folks? He was mafia-connected up the yin-yang, big time. This had all the earmarks of a mafia hit to silence somebody that needed to be silenced. Let's talk about Lee Harvey Oswald now. Rick, when you spoke with Marina uh, during your year stay with her, what were some of the questions you asked her and what were some of her responses that kind of surprised you? Well, um I guess you know, just learning more, asking asking a lot about uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, the person, what kind of a guy he was like. Um, uh, I mean, we have we have uh, a two dimensional viewpoint of Lee Harvey Oswald. We know him from books. We've seen him on newsreel footage. We've seen him being portrayed in movies. Uh, but what was he like as a person? Um, and not just connected to. Uh, you know, his extracurricular activities uh, in terms of, you know, who he hung out with, you know, late at night. I mean, what kind, what was he like for as a father? What was he like as a, as a husband? Um, Precisely. Sorry? Precisely. That's what I want to get is to the essence of the man. Yeah. Uh, And uh, so I was just very curious about what kind of a guy he was like, you know, you know, did he like to, you know, did he spend a lot of time with his children? Did he did he take his wife to to the movies? Uh, um, uh, eventually, we got into other things uh, about uh, you know what his political interests were like. But uh, I just wanted to learn a lot of as much as I could while I was there about uh, what the guy was like. 
And uh, so I kind of got a three-dimensional picture of uh, of the man uh, out of out of my stay with Marina. What were some of the things that really surprised you? I mean, as you said, I've been reading about the assassination for years as well, and I always thought Lee Harvey Oswald was kind of a, a sad character in this whole affair. What were some of the revelations about this guy? That- I, um, the one revelation I got uh, was uh, his reaction to the Cuban Missile Crisis. Um, because Marina, as you may know, uh, Brent, was, uh, was uh, from Russia, and she had just recently uh, come to the United States. Uh, she couldn't even speak English when she got here, and uh, she was totally dependent on Oswald to, uh, you know, to get her around and to, uh, you know, I mean, going to, a, going to a grocery store to ask for milk. You know, was, uh, you know, he would have to be the interpreter, right? That's right. Uh, so she was just totally dependent uh, on him. So um, um, and she was, I think, a bit homesick too for her, for her country. And then the Cuban Missile Crisis came along, and uh, as she explained it to me, that in Russia uh, during a national crisis, um, everybody has an emergency station that they have to go to, to defend their country, uh, in times of you know war, uh, emergencies, floods, whatever. And um, so when uh, there was this potential for nuclear war between the two countries, she was actually considering going back there. She, f- she felt uh, a duty to return to her country uh, during a national emergency hmm. and, uh, and take her station. And she asked him for advice on what uh, she should do. And he said to her, don't you worry, uh, President Kennedy won't let this go to war. President Kennedy will get us out of this. Don't you worry. He'll he'll get us out of this. And I thought that was somewhat of a revelation for a man who, you know, a year or so later is accused of killing the killing President Kennedy a year prior is, you know, um, talking him up. So that was I think well, that's the thing that sticks in my mind the most about about that. You're right. You know, I'd never heard that before. And folks, let me put this into context. At the time, Marina Oswald was 22, I believe. She'd already had a child, and she was just given birth. She had just given birth to her second child. Lee, at the time of the assassination, had virtually just turned 24. His birthday was in October. The assassination took place approximately a month later, November 22, 1963. Could Lee hold right. a, Could Lee hold a job? Was he uh, uh, a what's the word I'm looking? Was he a capable father? Was he involved with the family? Well, uh, certainly, uh, I think Marina would like to have seen him uh, spend more time looking for work or, or holding down a job um, longer. Um, he spent a lot of time uh, between jobs. And of course, uh, she was a very practical person, a meat and potatoes kind of lady. And um, you know, you have two children, you have two mouths to feed, including well, three, including your your wives and your your wife. And uh, uh, we, uh, you know, we need financial support, and we're not getting it if you're not working. And so I think she was uh, she was on him a lot to to uh, define full time work. And he kept disappearing. And she never knew where he was going. And, and as we found out later, he was doing all these odd errands, if you will, which we presume was for 
the intelligence community, the FBI and the CIA both. And she had no idea where he was disappearing to, and yet he never worked. Yeah, I mean, he was going out. He was going places, you know, going out and, um, you know, meeting with, with somebody or, or, or individuals. And uh, for what purpose, and whether it was nefarious or not, uh, you know, it depends on what um, uh, JFK researcher you talk to. But from uh, Marina's point of view, uh, she wasn't too impressed with uh, whatever he was doing because uh, he wasn't spending time looking for a job. And, um, you know, her view was, uh, you know, quit the James Bond stuff and, uh, you know, find a job. And uh, that was, uh, you know, it was very simple for Marina, you know, job equals food, you know, equals a home. And, uh, you know, he, he wasn't providing that. Folks, we're speaking with Rick Nelson tonight. Rick Nelson, of course, is a JFK researcher. He's also the curator of the Old Mill Heritage Center Museum on Manitoulin Island. Now, just to let folks know, Manitoulin Island, if you look at the map where you find Sudbury, just a little bit north of uh, Toronto, just go an hour west, you're going to see Manitoulin Island situated beautifully on Lake Huron. And I urge you all to go to check out the museum, of course. The museum is about the um, Daniel Dodge mystery. And there's real artifacts there that are going to blow your mind. There's some wonderful Second World War artifacts as well. Really, really well done. Really, if you're traveling across the Trans-Canada, well worth the stop to check it out. Well worth the stop. And good chances you're going to meet Rick as well. Um, Rick, let's get, Rick also spent a year with Marina Oswald. He boarded at her house. Marina Oswald, of course, Lee Harvey Oswald's wife, the purported assassin, Lee Harvey Oswald, of John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy. We're talking about the JFK assassin tonight, assassination tonight, if you're just joining us now. Rick, was Lee capable of violence? There's a lot of things that have been reported. Um, he slashed his wrists, for example, when he was in uh, Russia. What else was he uh, capable of doing? Well, if you uh, you read the book that uh, that came out uh, years uh, years ago, uh, Marina and uh, Lee, which was written by a lady uh, by the name of Priscilla Johnson, who was in uh, Russia as a reporter and knew Oswald when he was over there. Um, um, she uh, spent some time with Marina, and in the book it, it spells out uh, a number of things that uh, 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 he was reported to have uh, done, the Walker shooting. Um, well, we should and, stop there uh, and explain to the folks what that is. A lot of people have never heard of General Walker. Can can you explain that scenario for the folks that are listening? Uh, yeah, and you jump in there if you want to fill in some of the blanks, because um, sure. uh, I just recall that Walker was a... Uh, was a uh, you know um, a um, a retired general with right wing leanings uh, in his politics and uh, certainly uh, um, had a lot of friends but also had a lot of enemies and somebody took a shot at him one night um, when he was sitting at home and just nearly killed him I mean he he, he missed uh, Walker whoever it was uh, by uh, by inches uh, so he was stalked and and somebody um, uh, you know, tried to kill him. And uh, in the book, uh, um, uh, Marina and 
and Lee, uh, Lee it's uh, it's reported in in there that uh, he went back uh, following that or that he was the he was the uh, the attempted assassin of uh, General Walker, and that he came back, returned home, and and uh, told that story to uh, to Marina. Now, I'm, I'm just going to fill in a bit here. General Walker, folks, was, as uh, Rick just told us, far-right-wing general. So far, as a matter of fact, he was over in Berlin. Now, don't forget Berlin was divided with the wall in those days. Cold War, right? 1962. He um, was trying to instigate... He wasn't following orders in the same way that Petraeus just got bounced by Obama. There's a great analogy, actually. Petraeus just got bounced by Obama. You all know that Petraeus, General Petraeus, was in charge of the Iraqi and the Afghan missions for the United States. Said some unkindly words towards Obama, and Obama said, hey, you know, this is tantamount to, uh, I won't say being a traitor, but it's certainly... You know, that the military has always been under the civilian control in Canada, too. And that's how democracies work. Otherwise, you have basically um, a banana republic where the military has a coup after coup after coup. So there was talk of perhaps a coup about to take place in the United States during the missile crisis. And all of a sudden, you've got General Walker that's trying to instigate a confrontation at the same time in Berlin and uh, Kennedy yanked him and he wasn't following orders. So Kennedy yanked him. He pulled him out and told him to retire, get the hell out of the office. Walker always held a resentment against Kennedy for that. As a matter of fact, general Walker ran for president and maybe Rick knows this, you know who his vice president was general LeMay. I'm not kidding. He picked General LeMay. Now, General LeMay, folks, was a real whack job. He he thought a first strike against uh, the uh, Soviet Union at the time was probably the way to go. He was responsible in the Second World War for all the fire bombings on Tokyo, just to give you an example. He was really out there. Talk about a hawk. He was a hawk plus. So that's a good background on General Walker. Now, when Lee came home, was he shaken, according to Marie, after the shooting of General Walker, the attempted shooting of General Walker? Well, that's what's recorded in the book that he was pretty, uh, pretty stressed out, uh, and was, and then uh, wanted to um, uh, listen to the local uh, radio uh, or television broadcast or both to see if there was anything about it on the, uh, on the, uh, on the radio or the television in terms of news broadcasts. Uh, so right there, there's, uh, you know, if that story is true, there's an example of, uh, of where he was capable of violence. So now you have the slashing of the wrists and right. the attempted assassination of, uh, Walker. Uh, Nixon came to town. Uh, he was former vice president at that time. And, uh, there was another story about him, uh, uh, wanting to go out and take a shot at him. And, uh, Marina had locked him in the bathroom so he couldn't get out. Until he calmed down, uh, there's uh, you know then there are the stories about their own yeah. uh, domestic uh, uh, you know there was domestic violence, domestic abuse, whatever you want to call it, uh, uh, amongst themselves, and uh, so so you have there's another indication of what he was capable of. Uh, so it does does that mean that it, you know you, we take the leap that he you know was capable of 
you know, killing a president of the United States. You know, um, there's certainly lots of theories on that, isn't there? There sure is, and that's what I want to ask you. Just after I take this little, um, not station ID, but I'm going to plug Night Fright for a second. Folks, if you're listening right now, you can go to the www.nightfrightshow.com website. There you're going to find a wealth of information. You're going to find more shows in the archives on the Kennedy assassination. All the top-notch researchers like Rick tonight are there. Um, even Ted Sorensen, we had discussed just a few minutes ago, folks, we had mentioned the Cuban Missile Crisis. Ted Sorensen was the person that wrote the letter to Khrushchev to get Khrushchev to back down so we would not have a nuclear confrontation back in 1962, October 1962. That's a true story made into a movie, 13 Days, starring Kevin Costner. If you're not familiar with the story, that's a perfect example of a great movie to watch to get caught up on it. And as it says, you will never believe how close we came. We came that close, that close to not being here. If not for the fortitude of a man like Ted Sorensen, John F. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, and several others in the key positions, we wouldn't be here right now. All those shows are there, www.nightfrightshow.com website. They're free. They're free for you to download. They're free for you to put on your iPod. They're free for you to make CDs and copies. Get the shows. Get the information out there. Not the messenger is important. The content of the shows is what's important. All those shows there, just like Rick's show tonight, will be there. Something new I want to talk to you about. Night Fright has its own video channel now. Very easy to get to. Just go to dailymotion.com. Dailymotion, folks, if you're not aware of, Dailymotion is exactly like YouTube, only whereas YouTube truncates your video at 10 minutes, which is no good for this show, because you know this show goes an hour. Dailymotion allows you the extra time to put a one-hour video up or a one-hour-and-a-half video up. I am now videotaping all the shows right here in studio, even though they're phone calls. Those shows will be up on Dailymotion every week for you to download and watch as well. Sometimes there will be live guests in the studio, as Rick was last time. Sometimes there will be guests on the telephone, as Rick is tonight. So the important thing is, again, the information is there, and now you have a visual to go along with it. Again, all those links, www.nightfrightshow.com. Now, let's get back to Rick. Rick, of course, Rick Nelson, our guest tonight, folks. Um, he's the curator at the Old Mill Heritage Center Museum in Manitoulin Island. Manitoulin Island, of course, just one hour west of Sudbury. If you're going along to Trans-Canada, take the time out. Go to Manitoulin Island. Check out the museum. Well worth the stop. It has a wonderful display of the Daniel Dodge Mystery. Uh, original artifacts, and if you're wondering what the Daniel Dodge mystery is, just check our archives from last week. Rick talked extensively about it. You're going to enjoy that show. It's our living history right here in Canada. We're talking about the JFK assassination tonight. Um, Rick is a researcher who put on a symposium in 1993 right here in Sudbury. He brought up all the first-person witnesses that were involved in the assassination, including who we're discussing tonight, Marina Oswald. Marina Oswald, of course, the wife of Lee Harvey Oswald, the purported assassin 
of John F. Kennedy. Rick spent a year boarding with her and got to know her very well, and in so doing, in the discussions with her, got to know Lee Harvey Oswald, not as a two-dimensional character, but indeed as a complete, rounded, three-dimensional character. We've already talked about the violence that Lee Harvey Oswald was capable of. Now I'm going to ask Rick, Rick, do you think he was involved with the assassination at all? Well, I, I, yes, I do. I think he was involved in the plot. Was he, was he one of the shooters? Um, I, I'm very confused about that. I, uh, I, sorry, say again. Fair enough. Um, I mean, I think Marino even uh, to some point believes he was involved in the plot, although over the years uh, she's come to conclude that uh, he um, was uh, was not one of the shooters. Uh, you know, in, the, in the beginning, uh, when this all went down, uh, again, she had, he was now gone. I mean, you know, two days after the assassination, three days he's dead, and uh, she's got nobody except the government to look after her. And uh, so um, at this point, she's not interested in going back to Russia. And so she has to, you know, follow, as they say, the company line, um, if she has any hope of staying in this country. And uh, so she came to the conclusion that probably what they were telling her, everything about her husband, that he was the guy, uh, was correct. And it was only after years of her doing her own research and talking to uh, students of the assassination, uh, uh, people who have, had uh, started to take a closer look at uh, what the Warren report was saying, but she came to, to uh, some different conclusions over the years that uh, maybe, in fact, uh, uh, he didn't do it. Maybe he was involved in the plot, but did he actually did he actually pull the trigger? I, I don't. I I think she's at a point in her life where she thinks that it's possible that he didn't. Do you think she loved him? Yes, I do. I think uh, I do think that she loved him. Um, and um, you know, that's, you know I, I don't know why. I don't understand domestic violence. I don't know why people stay in relationships when you're being abused. But again, she was completely reliant on this man. Uh, but so um, you know, there was uh, you know a bond there of some sort. There was something there that well, she had two children with him as well. That's that's right. That yeah. is that's right. He loved his children. And you see, you know, I hear a lot of different comments from people who saw him interacting with his children. He certainly loved his kids. It's such a sad story. This whole thing, the JFK assassination. You've got two fathers struck down in the space. Three fathers, Mr. Tippett as well. Three fathers struck down in the space of three days, and those kids growing up without a father. That's the tragedy. That's, right. That's the tragedy. Um, I'd like to point out, though, if I could just jump in for one second there, Brent, yes. about uh, Marina's uh, life since uh, since the death of of, uh, of Oswald. Um, she did remarry and uh, is with a very wonderful man, um, uh, Ken Porter, uh, and he adopted those kids. And those kids think of uh, him as their dad. That's their dad. Uh, they've known no other person other than him, uh, of him, than him in their lives. And you know, and they and those children have grown up to be wonderful citizens of society. And they've got their own kids. And, like she's a 
Marina is a uh, you know a loving grandmother now, and uh, and Ken uh, you know a grandfather. That's and, wonderful. Uh, and I uh, you know I think the world of both of them. Um, uh, and so when we talk about me staying at Marina's, I stayed at Marina and Ken's place. Is how I look at it. And uh, uh, they were wonderful to me, and they're just wonderful people. And um, just unfortunate that uh, such a, a horrible tragedy happened uh, to uh, to this lady who goes to bed at night thinking that she could have done something to prevent this and wakes up in the morning, you know, and so like the, I hope, and, you know, in her senior years, you know, that, uh, that has softened up a bit. But uh, can you just imagine what that would be like going to bed at night, you know, reeked with guilt that you might have been able to do something to, to prevent this tragedy, and you wake up in the morning, that's your first thought. I don't hey, know how you can do it. I, I don't know how you life. can. And what could she have done? What could she have done? I mean, obviously, um, I would like you to tell that story when they went into the garage and found the limp blanket, if you could do that now. But basically, what could she have done? I mean, you can second-guess all you want, but, you know, you're right. What could... I mean, I mean it was just a... A fluke of history that that you know she ended up being where I mean she said to me once, uh, I wish I'd never gone to that dance, and that's in reference to uh, see Oswald. Uh, there's another you know uh, thing about Oswald. He defects to uh, to Russia. I mean, how do you do that? Uh, so, but when he was over there, he went to a union dance. He was working in Minsk. And uh, they, uh, after this is after he slashed his wrists, and they, uh, he, and the reason he did that was because he wanted he didn't want to be uh, deported, which is what they were threatening on uh, threatening to do. Uh, but they, he slashed his wrists, and they talked he talked them into letting him uh, them letting him stay in Russia. So then they they gave him a job in Minsk, and uh, he went to some uh, union dance, and that's where he met Marina. And um, shortly after that, and it was a fast courtship. Six weeks later, they're married, and she's now uh, living, uh, has now moved with him to uh, back to the states, and is living in uh, in Dallas. I'm sorry, you know, I forgot what the, the original question. I got rambling there. Sorry. No, no, I think you just answered it. Actually, I was going to ask you to tell uh, the story about the limp blanket. Oh, so uh, anyway. Um, uh, so Oswald uh, had his. So she remember we were talking about how um, they were having marital problems and their money problems, and he's he's not working. And uh, so anyway, she uh, she moved uh, she moved out for a while, and she moved in with a lady by the name of Ruth Payne, uh, who um, lived uh, just outside of Dallas in a place called the uh, suburb of Dallas, Irving, Texas, is where 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 it was, and. Uh, uh, a lot of uh, Oswald's um, uh, furniture and other miscellaneous items were stored in Ruth Payne's garage, and uh, along with that was the, was the uh, Mannlicher Carcamel rifle that allegedly was used to assassinate President Kennedy. And uh, uh, Marina knew it was there, but uh, Ruth Payne didn't know it was there. And so when all this went down and the police, the end of the assassination, and the police uh, finally ended up to uh, Ruth Payne's house uh, to uh, speak with Marina, they wanted to know if uh, there was a rifle uh, in the garage. And uh, Marina took them back to the garage to confidently show them 
where it was, and uh, uh, which was originally wrapped up in a blanket. And when she went to, uh, uh, she pointed to where the blanket was, still thinking the rifle was there. When they lifted up the blanket, the, the blanket was limp, and her heart just sunk. Um, and you know, for obvious reasons. Absolutely. Uh, folks, if you're just joining us uh, tonight, we're speaking with Rick Nelson. Rick Nelson spent a year with um, Marina Oswald and her husband, Ken. Is that right, Ken Porter? Yep. Okay, Ken Porter in Dallas, Texas. During that stay, of course, he had many conversations with both, and he got a full perspective, not just a textbook perspective, as I always call it, of Lee Harvey Oswald. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it probably should, because Lee Harvey Oswald is the purported assassin of none other than President John F. Kennedy. Rick is joining us tonight on the phone live from Manitoulin Island, which is only one hour west of Sudbury, and I'm very grateful for him to step in tonight, as we had another guest for tonight who bailed at the last second, and Rick was very most gracious to step up to the plate and step in and tell us this real-life experience he had. More than that, Rick's been a researcher of the JFK assassination for many years. As a matter of fact, going back to 1993, he put on a symposium, JFK symposium, right here at Laurentian University, where I am right now in the broadcast booth. And he brought up first-person witnesses right here to tell their stories about the JFK assassination. One of those witnesses, of course, was Marina Oswald. And we're just discussing Lee tonight. We're trying to figure out if Lee Oswald was capable of doing the deed. And I think we found out that, yes, he was probably capable, but that doesn't mean he did it. That does not mean he did it, because you still have to have a motive to do something like this. And in all the assassinations that have ever taken place, he is the only assassin that never admitted it. Usually when somebody assassinates somebody like... Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer or somebody like, not Jeffrey Dahmer, um, uh, Chapman, when he did, uh, when he shot John Lennon, he admitted to it right away because he wanted to note the notoriety for doing it. Lee Harvey Oswald never did that. He denied it from the time he was arrested to the time he was assassinated three days later by a mafioso-linked Jack Ruby. And that kind of set the world on fire. Those three days in Dallas incredible incredible story there was also another killing on that friday afternoon that killing was of officer tippett officer tippett had stopped had reportedly stopped lee harvey oswald and ended up dead nobody knows what really happened there's some confusion with some of the witnesses that were there some of the people said they saw two people one person said they saw lee harvey oswald but then uh, when questioned further, couldn't pick him out of a lineup properly, had to be pointed out. Very fishy stuff going on in Dallas that day. I'm going to ask Rick now, do you think that he killed Officer Tippett? Well, he, uh, well you really like put me on the spot, don't you? <laughs> Absolutely, buddy. <laughs> uh, just speculation, Rick. It doesn't have to be the gossip. I'm just asking your opinion, and that's all it is, folks. Yeah. Yeah. I will put that out as a disclaimer. uh, This is not, nobody knows. We're trying to examine the facts tonight, folks. We're trying to look at Lee Harvey's character and Lee Harvey Oswald's character. And nobody, I don't think, next to perhaps Marina, may have that 
insight to Lee Harvey Oswald's character other than, as I said, Marina Oswald. And I think Rick is next in line for that. And that's what I, it's fascinating to me to finally put a three-dimensional aspect to this yeah. character. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been trying to spend years just, you know, um, with all the uh, the conversations I've had with Marina, just trying to get my head around, uh, you know, what this, what this guy was like. Um, and it's still, you know, well, what's the line? I think it's in JFK. He's a, he's a mystery wrapped up inside an enigma. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's him. That uh, that is him. He certainly was found uh, located in the area a short time later after the Tippett shooting, uh, and was identified by by a, a number of witnesses as being the the guy that that was seen fleeing uh, fleeing the site. And he, you know, he did try to take a shot at a cop when he was being arrested inside the uh, the uh, the um, Texas theater. Mm-hmm. So I once again uh, um, and then slugged the cop too. Slugged the cop, tried to take a shot at a cop. So uh, you know from from some eyewitness accounts. So again, um, if that's to be believed, uh, again capable of violence. You know, there's a uh, history again uh, of his uh, you know a pattern a pattern there. So um, I, uh, all I, I, you know, I'm. I'd have to tell you, Brent, that I'm not. I uh, like we. It's been referred to as I'm an expert in our research. I call myself a student of uh, the assassination. I'm still learning. I is more things. I, uh, I, I'm learning things every day. I've learned from you. Um, you know, you're telling me things about Walker that I just learned tonight. So uh, it's it's still it's a, it's still an ongoing learning process for me. It sure is. People call it Dallas in Wonderland instead of Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Yeah. I was very interested in listening to. I was, you know, I'm. I think I'm a good listener, and one of the things I wanted to do was I wanted to listen to everybody uh, that I could get my hands on. When I was down in Dallas, it wasn't just Marina that I had a chance to talk to. I wanted to talk to everybody that was still alive who would talk to me about this story, and um, uh, just to, to get a perspective i wanted to uh to attend all the you know there's, they have these symposiums down there Brent, every year uh around the anniversary uh they hold now that right now there's two competing symposiums that are going on uh, jfk lancer has one and and um uh copa coalition of uh, political assassinations they they have uh them as well uh down there and i like to listen to the researchers i want to hear what uh, what their take is on because they certainly have spent more time than I studying this case and I you know and I just get dizzy basically uh, coming out of those symposiums because you go into there and you get about 17 different uh, viewpoints on how this thing went down and uh, everybody has a competing theory on how Kennedy was assassinated and they're very protective it's like their little turf they're very protective of their stories, and uh, I don't think anything gets accomplished. Here it is almost 50 years later, and uh, I still can't figure out what went down. And, you know, all those theories are very convincing, too, when you hear them speak, because they're all very passionate. They've done the research. Very, very convincing. Um, One of the questions I wanted to ask you, Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested uh, Friday afternoon, was sadly murdered Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, did Maria ever see her husband alive during that period? Did she get down to the jail? Was she? Yeah, she got. Uh, she oh. did get in there a couple of times to speak with him, but he didn't talk about the assassination. You know, he spent more time asking about the kids. Oh, you really? know, uh, you know, asking you know family issues. Uh, 
uh, you know, he made some comment, you know, don't believe everything you're hearing and all that sort of stuff. And she kept looking into his eyes, trying to see if there's anything, you know, she could, uh, you know, uh, you know, if she could read, you know, body language, anything that could give her a clue as to what was going on here. And uh, she didn't get anything, you know, you know, he was blank. And that was it. And that was just about the family. Interesting. I <laughs> See, you just educated me, so I'm a student too, folks. As much as I think I know, along comes some new information, and just like this information about Lee Harvey Oswald's background and his capability for violence, um, I was unaware of this. It seems to be glossed over somewhat, and I think it, it, it's too bad because what I'm after is the truth, uh, and that I think that's very important. Um, yeah. Just as a I problem. remember. Uh, sure, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go I was ahead. just I was going to say about um, uh, the 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 founder of the JFK Assassination Information Center, Larry Howard, who's passed away now. Um, he um, and was very he was very he was very close to Brino until the day uh, uh, he passed away of a stroke. Uh, I got to spend a lot of time with him before he passed away. Uh, this was just after the 30th anniversary of the assassination, and there were all sorts of events taking place down there. And that's when I went down to volunteer my time in the center and and spend some uh, time with a lot of different people, including Larry. And we went out for a, for um, a supper uh, one of those evenings during uh, during that 30th anniversary uh, during the time of the 30th anniversary uh, of the assassination. And um, we got talking about. Uh, but he was, he got talking about mortality, and he said that if he uh, if he were to you know if he when he dies, um, the first person he uh, he wants to speak to when he got up to the pearly gates was Lee Harvey Oswald because he had a lot of questions for that guy. Well, three months after that conversation, he passed away. So, you know, he's got his answers. I, I wish I wish I wish he could tell me because I you know I'd like to know. You know, because only God and Lee Harvey Oswald knows for sure what uh, what happened on that day. If he was in the six book, uh, six six floor school book depository or not. Very good point. Yeah. Very yeah. good yeah. point. Something yeah. else interesting and suspicious happened with you when you were curator curator for the um, uh, Lee Har not Lee Harvey Oswald for the JFK. Um, Museum, for lack of a better way of putting it, when you were in Dallas? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was referring to um, the fire. Could you talk about that? Well, there, you know, I mean, they said in the paper that it was a, you know, it was a malfunctioning uh, curtain, um, or whatever, whatever the motor is. You know, you know, like a movie theater, and there's a mm -hmm. curtains open and close. Well, that's motorized, right? And so. Uh, what had happened was the JFK Assassination Information Center had uh, closed down and was being relocated to another location. It was being relocated over to the Texas Theater, which is a natural, because that's where Oswald was captured, right? That's and right. so uh, the uh, the owners of that uh, of that theater were very eager to have a museum put in there, and we were in the process of um, going in there. Larry had since passed away, Larry Howard. And so that's the whole reason I went down there, because Larry Howard had died, and his widow asked if I could come down and help out. I was working in radio in Sudbury at the time, and they were, at the time, were looking for buyouts, uh, you know, giving, giving, giving people, uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you Packages. Know, uh, 
packages. And so I took one. And so I could, so that I could go down there and, 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 uh, you know, and, uh, sustain myself financially. So I went down there cause Larry Howard had died. I, I, I went down to help them relocate to a new museum. I mean, their museum to a new location. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, uh, his widow and, and uh, Marina, uh, I alternated between, so I wasn't there at Marina's all the time. I was there also at uh, Larry Howard's place as well. They put me on back and forth rotate. So I guess when Marina got sick, I mean, I'd just go over to Larry <laughs> Howard's place, you know, and vice versa, you know. Uh, so while, so we were in the process of relocating uh, the museum at the Texas Theater. Uh, when one night I was, uh, when I was at Marina's, it was late at night, and I liked listening to late night radio, you know, good shows like your, like yours. And um, uh, Rick, I could I just interrupt you for a second? By the mm-hmm. way, I, I just want to double-check your address because your check's in the mail. <laughs> Happy to oblige. Thank you, uh, my friend. So, uh, I, uh, so I was listening to some late-night uh, talk on the radio, and um, it helps me relax. And I, So I um, was, had fallen asleep, but then uh, I, I woke up. Uh, it was about 2 in the morning because uh, I, I heard them talking about the Texas Theater. But the Texas Theater, where Lee Harvey Oswald was was captured was on fire and it was like they were calling it a five alarm fire and as i understand that's a you know that's like you know every fire truck in the city is on their way out there and uh so i jumped up and you know and put on some clothes and i ran and i woke marina up and i said texas theater's on fire and i have to uh, i have to leave so i have to head down there it was about a 20 25 mile drive from where like, they lived out in the country so i got into town Got to the uh, theater and it was a blaze. And uh, I, the manager, uh, I was really worried because there was an apartment in that uh, theater. I was more worried about, uh, and it was the manager, uh, the owner of the or manager of the theater had, a, had an apartment in there. So I was more worried about whether that guy had gotten out. So I, to my relief, he's standing out there or what, you know, out there in the street with everybody else. So I was glad he had survived. And then he told me. Uh, you know what? Uh, what was going on? That the place was ablaze, and the, and the fire trucks were in there. But by that time, I got there. It was pretty much under control. Twenty-four hours later, we were able able to go in there, and there was severe water damage in the theater. All the artifacts and everything from the museum was okay. They were okay because it was in the lobby section where the where the museum was being set up. So our stuff was fine. But the theater itself, uh, with the uh, the lower where where the uh, the the, the movie screen mm-hmm. would be, that was almost underwater. It was all kinds of water damage, and they said it was a uh, uh, there was a there was a short in the in the uh, the motor that opens and closes the curtain, and it caused it. Well, but uh, to me, uh, you know, doesn't that thing have to be opening and closing when that thing shorts out? I would think. Yeah, well, like 2 yeah. in the morning, I don't think that thing is opening and closing. No, so, it's uh, a very strange story. Yeah, so anyway, uh, it just uh, there's a lot of people in Dallas to this day who do not like having uh, museums that deal with the conspiratorial end of this, of the, of this story. Wow. I mean, I mean uh, you know, a museum that talks about conspiracy theories has always been a sore subject to a lot of people in Dallas. And, 
you know, uh, I rest my case. I don't know what happened. And was that, you know, I mean, I, if you're alluding to the fact that, you know, this, this was arson, I don't know. I just, you know, I, I can't prove that. Very strange story, though, isn't it? I mean, you have all those original artifacts right there of the assassination, and all of a sudden, very conveniently, the night that they're stored there, a fire breaks out. Like you said, um, the only way, from, to my knowledge, a short like that would happen is if somebody was operating the curtain at 2 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't seem likely, does it? Uh, but no, again, we, we don't have proven. We don't have proof. No, no, not at all. Yeah. Listen, we're going to have to start to wrap up now, but definitely keep the first Wednesday in November open. I'm going to contact Robert, Robert Groden, your friend. And um, if if you want to make the trek in, great. If not, we'll, we'll get you on the telephone with Robert, and uh, we'll do a show, the three of us. How's that sound? Well, I think uh, I think uh, it would be very nice to leave the island to come in and sit in on your show and have Robert Groden, who is the guy who brought... Uh, the, uh, the famous Decoder film to national television. If it wasn't for Robert Groden, That's right. um, we might still not know, uh, you know about that Decoder film and what was on it. So uh, he'd be a good guy to talk to. For sure, I'd love to share the airways with him. That's great. And you know what? This time around, the coffee's on me, my friend. <laughs> okay, sounds good. <laughs> Listen, I want to thank you really sincerely for coming on the show. Um, you bring a wealth of information every time you come on the show. And to step up to the plate the way you did, uh, the frantic phone call I gave you late last night, folks, by the way, not early. This was late last night, and he stepped up to the plate and came on for us tonight. I would really want to thank you. Folks, we've been speaking with Rick Nelson. Rick Nelson, of course, was here last week. We talked about the Daniel Dodge mystery. That show, Show, is in the archives. No problem there. Download it for free as with all the archives. Not a problem. Tonight, Rick Nelson has been giving his expertise, lending his expertise, as I say, some insights to Lee Harvey Oswald, the purported assassin of John F. Kennedy all those years ago, because he spent a year in Dallas uh, oscillating between two homes, one of them occupied by Marie Oswald and her husband, Ken Porter. Um, He will be back first week, first Wednesday in November. Keep that on your schedule, folks. Rick, thank you so much, my friend. Oh, before you go, curator of the Old Mill Heritage Center Museum on Manitoulin Island. Stop by if you're on the Trans-Canada. You're going across the country. Either way, stop by and check out the museum. You will not be sorry. Those coordinates also, www.nightfrightshow.com. Don't forget to check out the show, dailymotion.com. Just do a search for Night Fright. All these shows now are being videotaped as I look into the camera right now as I wave. And enjoy the shows. Send me an email if you get a chance. Thank you so much, Rick, for coming on the show. And thank you very much for asking me. It was a It's always a blast to have you here, my friend. You're going to be a regular. You know that, eh? <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my goodness me. It's coming up. It's coming up. Actually, yeah, it's coming up virtually. Actually I'm gonna be in New York next week. Uh I'm gonna be at the United Nations interviewing three Nobel Peace Prize laureates for the other show I do. So uh, very excited to be there. Hope to get to Grand Zero. Yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that. Yeah. Thank you so much, my friend, again. Well take care. You too. Bye now.
listening to Night Fright and your host, Brent Holland. The time is now. Your voice in the dark for paranormal and conspiracy radio. (laughs) 